What's up, News Story? How are we doing this morning? How are we doing? Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Love this place. This place is awesome. I was walking in. You got your little courtyard in between. This is amazing. Everybody's friendly. Everybody's happy and smiley. I, I want to make sure I'm still in L.A., man. I, I, I'm in L.A., right? <laughs> like, I can't come to L.A. without somebody trying to cuss me out or run me off the road. It's, it's crazy, but I love it. I walk in this place, and everybody's smiling at me, giving me big hugs. The worship was awesome. I was getting my praise on. This is an amazing place. I love this place. And that video was amazing, too. I told Tom before I got here that he better hide his video and media people from me because uh, I might take a couple back with me when I leave. But let me, before I begin, let me just say this. Um, I know that he's just bragging on me. I got to brag back on, on Pastor Tom because your pastor is an amazing man. Pastor Tom and Erica, they are amazing people, and they look good up close. This is what I mean by that. This is what I mean. It's easy to get up here and look good from afar. It, it, it kind of is. You can fake that funk a little bit. But I've been in their house. I've seen them up close, and they are amazing people. Like, like Pastor Tom was saying, our kids are like besties. So we've, we've done a lot of things together as a family. I've been in their house. We've laughed together. We've, we've cried together. We've camped together. And let me tell you this. I'm a brother from Chicago. I had no business camping. Tom, Tom's a brother from Jersey. He has no business camping. Like, I don't need to pay money to go live in the woods and, put, like, I'm a poor person with lions and tigers and bears. Like, that's not my thing. I don't do that. But when you go camping with somebody, you get to know people. You get to see who they really are, maybe a little too much. So we, we have camped together. We've seen each other up close. And he's a good man. He's a man who loves his wife. He loves his girls. He loves Jesus, and he loves you. So before I begin, I just want to say, you got yourself an amazing pastor leading this church. It's an amazing. So I'm truly honored to be here. Uh, last week, we started this series. Pastor Mike delivered an amazing dime in this, in this message called Going for Broke. You can, if you've missed it, you can watch it online. Uh, but I'm like, I got a word. That, that God has been just stirring up in my heart for about a year now. So, like, when I say I'm excited, I'm talking, like, I'm, like, five-hour energy excited. Like, I am, like, triple espresso, double mucalaca chico. I, I don't drink coffee, so I don't know if that's real. But if it's real, that's how excited I am to share this word with you because this has been burning up in me. So, in, in fact, I need you all to do a favor for me. I need everybody to stand up real quick. Just stand up. Do a favor for me. Yeah, everybody just stand up. You're going to be sitting down for a while, so just stand up, stretch it out. But I need you to do a favor for me. I need you to look to your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor, I have a feeling that this is going to be awesome. See, I, I don't believe you yet, so I need you to look at your other neighbor and say, other neighbor, you're my second choice. This might be a bit awkward. But I got a feeling that this is going to be awesome. Go ahead, take a seat. Go ahead, take a seat. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So like I said, at the beginning of this year, God gave me a word, literally gave me a word, and that word is new. He gave me the word, and it was new. You might know it. It sounds familiar. It's in your name. New. Did you know in the Bible, the word new shows up 143 times? 143 times. That's more than the word forgive, more than the word believe, 
and almost more than the word joy. So there's something about new that God loves. God loves new. For, for, for instance, look at a few verses on new. Look at this first verse Jesus talks about in Luke 22:20. 20. He says this, this is the new cup of the covenant written in my blood, blood poured out for you. Look at this verse in John 13. He says this, let me give you a new commandment. Love one another in the same way that I have loved you. You love one another. Look what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7, 6. He says this, but now we have been released from the law, for we have died to it, and we're no longer captives to its power. We can now serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. He goes in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And you're like, hey, pastor, of course, this is new. Talking about new. This is a New Testament, duh. New Testament, yeah. But look what the Old Testament says. The Old Testament talks about new too. Look at Lamentations 3, it says this. The patient love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great are your faithfulness. Look at the psalmist in Psalm 96 says this. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all you earth. And then Isaiah 43, 19, and this is the verse that God gave me in the beginning of this year. He says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. It's already happening. Don't you see it? I'm making a pathway in the wilderness. I'm creating rivers in the dry uh, wasteland. People, this is what I learned. I've studied every single verse on new, and this is what I learned. God loves new. He loves doing new things. All throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, he loves new. Think about it. Look at creation. Look at all the new things in creation that we're seeing and discovering. Think about this. Every single day, almost 350,000 babies are born. We just dedicated two this morning. Almost 350,000 babies are born every single day. That means throughout the history of the world, there's about an estimated 100 billion people that have been born throughout history. And every single one of them are new. God loves new. He's infatuated with new. God is looking for a new vessel to do his new work, to write a new story. And this new generation. So I have a question for you. Are you all in on what God is doing new in this church? Are you all in? Because God is doing something in the church. I don't know if you've noticed, but God is at work in this place. You've only been here for, I think you guys just celebrated 100 days as a church. I don't know what that, what's that phrase in Korean again? What is it? Yeah, yeah, that one. Um, <laughs> but you're celebrating 100 days Think about this. In the first 100 days, God has given you a new pastor. He's given you a new name, a new facility with free parking in L.A. I, come on. Somebody's got praise for that one. Free parking in L.A.? That's crazy. That's crazy. Pastor Tom has shared a new vision. In fact, you've just finished your brand new series called 23 on the greatest passage in the Bible. In fact, I want to just do a, a real quick survey. Where's my Team LeBron fans real quick? Where, raise your hands, Team LeBron. Okay. I just want to make sure I know who I have to pray for after the service. I want to make sure. Come on, Team MJ all day, y'all. Come on. From Chi-Town, representing. But check this out. 
in, in, in just your first 100 days, you've already baptized four new people into God's family. Come on. God is at work in this place. So let me ask you the question again. Are you all in and what God is doing in here? Are you all in? See, I believe God wants to do a revival in this city. And I believe he's, he's, he wants to use this church to do a revival. And what's another word for revival? Renewal. God wants to do something new. But before God could do something new in this city, he's going to have to do something new in your life. It has to start with you. So I'm going to ask this question one more time, but I'm going to change it up a little bit. What is getting in the way of God doing something new in your life? What is holding you back to experiencing the full greatness of God? In order to know the answer to that question, you have to understand the opposition of new. And one of the greatest misconceptions of the Bible is, is that we think the opposition of new is old. Like the enemy of new is old. The enemy of, the, of new is not old. God loves old things. We read scripture like, you know, you can't pour new wine into old wineskin. Who's read that verse? Who, you heard that? Yes. You can't pour new wine into old, old wineskin. And we think that's what we're saying is enemy of, of new is old. No, that's not what that's saying. You got to understand the context of that passage. The spiritual leaders of the time was actually accusing Jesus of having too much fun. They were seeing that he was going around eating and drinking and laughing and hanging out with all these sinners. And he's like, they're like, you can't do that. That's wrong. You're violating at least 16 of our 611 penal codes of the Old Testament law. You can't do that. There's no way. You're not allowed to do that. And you call yourself God. Then Jesus says, first off, I am. See what I did there? I am. He said, first off, I am. I am God. Secondly, I wrote the law, so I know what I'm talking about. Thirdly, I'm the wine in that story. And you can't box me in into this old way of thinking. See, the old, the old law has served its purpose. See, I'm here to fulfill that law. I'm about to fulfill that old law in a new way. But by no means is Jesus saying that old is bad. Old is not bad. In fact, he goes on in that same passage to say old is good. But what he is saying is I can even use old things to do and fulfill new work. So the enemy of new is not old. But, old, but new has an enemy. It has an enemy. And, and today I want to share with you three enemies of new. And I want to look at the story of Peter because I think Peter is just one of the best examples uh, of, of this idea of uh, old and new and this idea of Jesus writing a new story in his life. See, the Gospels or writers call Peter Simon Peter because, um, not because that's his first and last name. In fact, his birth name was Simon. About a year into his ministry, Jesus changes his name to, to Peter. It literally is Petros. It literally means rock. And so the authors of the New Testament often call him Simon Peter because uh, they want to make sure we know who they're talking about because there's a few Simons. So it's Simon Peter, but that's the same dude. But Simon Peter, <laughs> he's, he's a complex character. He's like a walking contradiction. He is like Mr. Can't Get Right. You know, we all know Mr. Can't Get Right. You know, that the person that's always making mistakes, messing things up, you know, the impulsive dude, you know, the, the, the type that 
will borrow your car because their car ran out of gas. You know what I'm saying? Like the type that like is just saying dumb things. The type that like that will get fired on his day off. You know, like that kind of dude. You know, the type that like is always in trouble with his wife because he just says whatever's on his mind. You know, like, hey, babe, does this dress make me look fat? And he's like, no, your face does. You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, you know, like that dude. You know, like Mr. Can't Get Right. We know Mr. Can't Get Right. So in order to explain uh, this, I want to I wanna play this game. I wanna, I wanna, this is a complex character, so I need some help. Have you guys ever played this game, Headbands? You play this? I love this game. This, they actually have a version of this game on the phone. And we play this game as a family, like at restaurants. So we're like the, the weird-looking family with stuff on our head <laughs> in restaurants. But this is a game. We're going to play Disney Edition. Okay, so is this, is this upright? Is this, is this right? Is this? Okay, okay. So I'm going to fix it. Okay, you guys see it? Hopefully the cameraman is helping me out. You guys see that? Okay, so the way you play headbands is you, I get to ask you questions, and you have to answer the questions, and I have to guess the character on my head. So... First, um, am I a man? Okay, that was a little weird for me. <laughs> that was, to be honest, that was a little weird for me. Okay, so so I'm not a, uh, so I'm a girl. Um, okay, am I a am I a bad girl? No, I didn't mean it like that. Stop, y'all some nasty people in church. I didn't mean it like that. Am I a villain? Okay, okay, I'm not a villain. So okay, am I a princess? Okay, I'm a princess. Okay, so do um, do I have gasmo and gizmos galore? Yeah, yeah. Am I a confused teen that's willing to sacrifice my inheritance, including giving up my gift of singing, so that I can pursue this princess, <laughs> this prince, and I need the help of this little lobster that has this awesome Jamaican accent? Am I that? Am I? Yeah, yes, I'm Ariel. Yes, I'm Ariel. So you guys know how to play. So if we were to play this game with Peter. This is, it, it's a little, it's a little crazy because, because Peter is a complex character. It, it would go something like this. He's like, you know, are you the person that Jesus called Satan? Like Jesus called you Satan? Stand behind me, Satan? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah. But, but are you the person that Jesus called the rock in which I'm going to build the church on? Yeah, that's me too. Yeah. And then he says, but wait, 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 aren't you the dude that cut this guy's ear off impulsively? Yeah, that was not a really fine moment. I just kind of chopped his ear off. But then, but then he's like, but, but aren't you the guy who walked around and healed people? Aren't you the guy that raised people from the dead and, and raised the lame and, and healed the blind? Aren't you that guy? Yeah, that was me. That was me. Yep. But no, 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 but weren't you the dude that denied Jesus three times and ran away afraid? You kind of did that one. But I was also the dude that preached on Pentecost and thousands of Christ followers started following Jesus that day. That's Peter. And throughout the gospel, Peter is like floating in this territory between where Jesus finds him and where Jesus was calling him to. He's like this walking contradiction, and I love it. I love it because his story gives me hope. His, I, I make a lot of mistakes. I'm actually dumb enough to think I can walk on water if Jesus said, come to me. So I like Peter's story, and that's what we're going to spend some time with looking at Peter's story. And Peter's story actually starts 
in Matthew 4, verse 18, it says this. One day, Jesus is walking along the shore in the Sea of Galilee. He sees these two brothers, Simon, who is also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing their net into the water. For they fished for a living. That was their profession. Jesus called out to them, and, and these are the two words that changed their life forever. He says to them, follow me. Follow me, and I will make you fisher of men. And the Bible says at once they dropped everything and followed them. Friends, that's all in. That is all in. They, this guy that they're hearing about around town actually comes up to their job and says, follow me. And they dropped everything and start following him. Can you imagine? Put yourself in their, in, in their shoes. Can you imagine being at your job and this dude, just a stranger, just shows up and says, yo, follow me. And you leave your job, you quit that day. That's all in, folks. Now, I'm not suggesting, I'm not, the preacher's not telling you to quit your job. I'm not saying that. In fact, some of your spouses right now will be like, you bet not. <laughs> no, I'm not saying quit your job. I'm just trying to call out what all in looks like. They left everything and followed Jesus immediately. But it did not take long before they encountered the first enemy of new. This new thing that God was trying to do in their life. And their first enemy of new is fear. The first enemy of new is fear. You might want to write this down. I think you guys have a place in your notes to take notes. I, I, I really would like for you to write these down and talk about these things. Because what are you afraid of? What, what, what is the fear that's holding you back from experiencing God's greatness in your life? See, fear will paralyze you. Fear will make you run away from God's calling. Fear will keep you from experiencing the full blessings of life. Fear is the barrier between your Simon and your Peter. Fear creates that chasm. And Satan loves to use fear. Satan, it's his number one weapon. He loves fear. He loves to use fear to keep you from becoming the man and, or a woman that God has created you to be. And he'll use a lot of different, different varieties of fear. It's like, you know, I'm too old or I'm too young or, uh, you know, I'm, 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 not, I'm not smart enough or I'm not cute enough. I'm not wise enough. I, I can't do this. I don't have enough faith. That's all fear. And Satan loves to use this fear. And fear looks different in, in, in all of us. Some of us are actually afraid of success. Some of us are afraid to succeed. We know exactly what God is calling us to, and we're afraid to take that step because what does it look like if I'm actually good at it? What do I have to give up if I actually, if people like this new thing that God is calling me to do? That's scary for you. But other people are the opposite. Their fear is failure. They're afraid to fail. Because, you know, look, I don't fail at anything. I don't do failure. Failure is not my thing. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. That's, that's what I do. How, I don't even think about failure. Let me tell you this. Failure is your friend. You can't achieve growth without failure. Growth requires failure. In order for God to do something new in your life, you will need to grow. And growth feels a lot like failure at first. 
Because anything becoming something new must first fail at what it has always been. But that was good. I'm gonna, somebody better tweet that. That was good. That was good. I'm going to say it again. Something becoming new must first fail at what it has always been. So growth actually feels like failure at first. And that's basically the summary of Peter's life is he just kept failing and failing and failing and messing up over and over and over again. But yet God still used them. Look at this passage in Matthew 14, verse 22. It says this, immediately after this, Jesus got done preaching to the crowd. It says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side while he spent, sent the people home. After sending people home, he went up into the hills and, and by himself to pray. Night fell there. He was alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land. For the strong winds have risen and they were fighting heavy waves. And about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus comes strolling along, walking on the water. And when the disciples see, saw them, they were terrified because they thought he was a ghost. But when they saw, they're all scared. Jesus said, chill out, chill out, it's just me. I'm reading from the Hebrews version. I don't, I don't know what version y'all got. I got the Hebrews. Um, so Jesus is like, chill out, y'all, it's just me. He's got his little cool walk because he's walking on the waves, you know. Like, chill out, it's just me. And then Peter, you know, knucklehead Peter says, well, if Lord, if it's you, call me out to you so that I can come walk on the water. And Jesus says, Come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong winds and the waves, he was terrified and started to sink. And he said, save me, Lord. Now let me pause for dramatic effect because I think some of us, when we read this story, we just see like words on the page and we don't really understand how crazy this was. In fact, some of us has this mental picture in our head that probably looks something like this. You know, we're out on this little tiny boat in this little tiny lake. I mean, how bad can the winds really be? Well, I'm sorry to tell you, but it probably looked a little more like this. Now, I might be like exaggerating a little bit. This may or may not be an image from uh, Perfect Storm with like George Clooney. I, I, it may. But I don't know about you, but this scares me to death. I would, this is the reason why I keep saying no when my wife asks us to go on the cruise. I am not getting out on a boat that is crazy. This scares me to death. And, and, and the reason why we know that this storm was a real deal is because, one, this was a big lake. The Bible says for at least they were out there for at least three hours. So, and, and, and they were only halfway through this, this place for three hours. That's a pretty good-sized lake. Second is we know geographically about this area. It's just Sea of Galilee is right off the Mediterranean. There's some pretty gnarly storms that come through there. But third, and this is probably the most important fact, this wasn't some average storm. This was a storm sent by God to teach these knuckleheads a lesson. So this is probably more accurate of what it looked like. And so in your mind, if you have the other picture in your mind, and you probably read the text like, Lord, save me, help, save me. But if it's really like this, then Peter's like, Jesus, God, Lord, help me, I'm sinking. I mean, that's probably like me. I'll be peeing myself and stuff. But, but this is what it really looked like. It was scary. This dude was trying to walk on water. And the Bible says at first he's walking on water. He's like, yo, I can do this. And all of a sudden he starts sinking. 
I don't know about you, but if I'm sinking in debt, I'm scared. I'm freaking out. I'm like, Lord, help me. Save me. Quit playing, Lord. Come help a brother. And Jesus, what the Bible says, the Bible says this. He immediately, he immediately reaches out and grabs his hand and says, you of little faith, why do you doubt me? What are you afraid of? Then they climb back into the boat, and Jesus was like, just playing. Turn off the, turn off the waves and storm. Just cancels the wind. And then they're like, man, you are the real deal. You really are the son of God. Okay, and they worshiped him. That was their lesson. Now, what I find funny about this whole story is that later in Peter's life, about 30 years later, he's writing these, these, these books, these letters to the church. They're beautiful letters. In fact, 1 Peter is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's one of the first books I studied when I first started following Jesus. And it's a beautiful letter. It's a redemptive letter. It actually it catalogs all the, the lessons that Peter learned over the years of following Jesus. And in this beautiful passage, but you know what, what I find funny is that nowhere in his letters to the church he talks about this story, about sinking, about walking on water. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I'm writing a letter to the church, I'm going to be like, yo, remember that one time I walked on water? <laughs> yeah, that was cool, right? You know, I, I would include that in my letter, but he never includes that in his letter. But he does give us an insight into fear. and gives us a little secret into fear in this passage found in 1 Peter 5.8. says this, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter is not telling us that we need to be afraid of the devil. No, he's not. This is not a fear verse. He's not, he's not you know, categorizing the devil as this, this lion walking around, picking us off one by one. No, that's not what this verse is saying. He's giving us a little insight into the devil's thinking, into the devil's strategy. And so look, if anybody knows me, they know I love lions. Like I love, it's like a wallpaper on my phone, my iPads, my home screens. Like I love lions. Like I love the Lion King. That's what me and Nori has in common. We're going to go to the, uh, the live action when it comes out together. I love, I love Lionheart from Care Bears. I love Leo from Thundercats. I love lions. Since I was a little kid, I used to watch every geographic movie I could about lions because I just loved it. And over the years, I learned something about lions. It's the same secret Peter, Peter is trying to tell us in this passage. And it's this. The lion the, is a roaring lion. That word, roaring, what he's saying about the lion is, this is what I learned about lions. They're terrible hunters. In fact, statistically, they are the worst hunters in the animal kingdom. The worst. They're terrible. But their most effective strategy when they hunt their prey is that the old, broke-down, fangless, like too slow, too fat lion that can't do anything anymore will come up to this prey right in front of it and roar really loud so that the prey gets afraid, turn around, and run away. And what the lions do is they put all the rest of the, the pride behind them and they make them run right into an ambush. That's what the roaring lion does. So what Peter is saying here is, he can't hurt you. All he can do is roar at you and make you afraid of him so you can turn around and want, run away from God's calling in your life. This is a little secret Peter's telling us. He's like, listen to me. I know some things. 
I failed a lot of, at this. So listen to me. The devil ain't nothing. He, he can't do anything. He can't hurt you. Jesus defanged him at the cross. He can't do anything about you. So all you have to do is withstand and resist him, and he will flee from you. Don't turn and run, turn and run away. So my question is, what are you afraid of? What fear is holding you back from experiencing God's calling on your life? So the second enemy of fear is disobedience. The second enemy of fear is disobedience. See, Peter knows something about this as well. Some time has passed and, 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 and Peter has been walking with Jesus for at least two years now. And he's done some pretty cool things. He's, he's been preaching, you know, watching Jesus preach to thousands and raise the dead and heal the sick and, and cast out demons. And he's like, yo, this, this, this is the real deal. This guy is amazing. But what happens is Jesus is then arrested and beaten. And at his trial, Peter denies him three times and runs away and hides. So then Jesus eventually is taken to the cross and crucified. But when he raises from the dead, look where he finds Peter. Let's read this in John 21, 9, or sorry, John 21, 1 through 9. It says this, later Jesus appeared again to the disciples. This is after he rose besides the Sea of Galilee, and this is how it went down. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter said, hey, I'm going fishing. And everybody was like, okay, we'll come too. So they all went fishing. They all went on the boat, but they caught nothing all night. They fished all night and caught nothing. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't tell who he was. So Jesus calls out children. This is so gangster. Jesus is like, fools, dummies. And he asks a question that he already knows the answer to. How many times did Jesus do that to us, right? He's like, children, did you catch anything? What do they say? Nope. Then Jesus says, well, throw your net to the right side of the boat, and then you'll catch something. So like dummies, they did. And they caught so much that they couldn't even haul the nets in because they had so much fish in the net. Then the disciples said to Peter, I think that's Jesus. Then Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, and he, like, put on his tunic and jumped in the water. There he goes again, just off, jumping off the water, and he ran to Jesus. He just headed for the shore, running to Jesus. The other stayed behind to pull the boat in with the loaded nets. But when they got there, Jesus had breakfast waiting for them. So do you remember where Peter was when Jesus initially called him to follow him? Where was he? Fishing. He was fishing. Then Jesus takes him into his ministry, does a whole lot of cool stuff, like raises people from the dead. That's pretty cool. Have him walk on water. That's pretty cool. Cast out demons. I don't know what that looks like, but man, that sounds pretty cool. Then he teaches them how to love people, how to serve people, how to build his church. Then he dies, raises from the dead, and where does he find Jesus? What does he find Peter doing again? He went fishing. Peter just straight up disobeys Jesus. He just straight up just like, yeah, I'm going to go back to what I know. I'm going to go back to what's comfortable for me. I'm going to go back to what I'm good at. He just straight up disobeys. And I find this funny again because Peter, again, in his letters to the church, doesn't even talk about this as a failure. Look what he says in 1 Peter 1.14. 
He says this, so you must live as God's obedient children. He's like, yeah, like the time that you went fishing when you were supposed to be out changing the world, you know, like that time. Yes, yes. Don't do what I do. Don't slip back into the old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Trust me. Trust me. I did that and it didn't work out. And if I knew God's plan for my life, I wouldn't have wasted a second going back to my former life. See, again, he doesn't explicitly talk about his failures. But when you start knowing his story and you start reading his letters, the the lessons of his story starts oozing out of the pages. And this is a man talking with experience. He goes on to say in verse 23 this. He says, for you have been born again, not not, uh, to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it will be from eternal living word of God. Friends, when God calls you to something, he is calling you to something eternal. He is calling you to join in and partner into his work that will outlast your life. He's calling you something that will outlive you. And all we have to do is obey to enter in and partner into this this amazing calling that he has on our life. Some of you right now, some of you right now, have heard the word of God on your life. He has told you specifically what he wants you to do, and you're disobeying it. You're running away from his calling. You're not listening. You're going to what you know. You're going to what you do well, and you're you're, you're just just disobeying. A pastor once told me that when we, that he, he believes, this is his theory of death, when he believes that when we die, God is calling us home because we either fulfilled our purpose in life or he knew that we were never going to get around to it. That's a scary thought. That's a scary thought. And every parent in here knows delayed obedience is disobedience. I told my my son to clean his room. A month later goes by, yeah, I'm going to get around to it, Dad. Yeah, that's still disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So what are you waiting for? What are you disobeying God on? So if the first enemy of of new is fear, then the second enemy of new is disobedience. And the third and final enemy of new is comparison. It's comparison. And comparison is a scary, scary game. Later in the same story, after they ate breakfast, there's this beautiful redemptive moment where Peter and Jesus are talking and, and Jesus asked Peter these questions, three questions. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, Lord. And then Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, Jesus. And he's like, Peter, do you love me? He asked one for every single time he denied Jesus at the, the judge. Peter's like, yes, Lord. Yes, of course I love you. And what did Jesus say to him? Then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Get to work at the very thing that I've called you for. Get to work at the thing I created you for. Get to work on the thing I prepared you for. I prepared you for these things. 
I've shown you how to love people. I've shown you how to heal people. I've shown you how to feed my sheep and invest in my people. I've shown you. In fact, I said, all these things that you see me doing, you're going to do it greater and better because you're the rock that I'm building this church on. So get busy doing the work I've created you for. And after Jesus says this, poor Peter learns his lesson of comparison. He says this in verse uh, uh, John 29, 19 says this. After Jesus said all these things to Peter, he says, follow me. Follow me. Verse 20, Peter turning his head. This is where comparison starts, folks. Jesus, Peter turns his head and says, hey, what about this disciple back here? What about him? I love Jesus' response. <laughs> Jesus says, if I wanted this dude to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You follow me. Don't worry about him. You follow me. Stop worrying about other people. You run your race. You know, it's funny when you run a race, they don't say get on their mark. They say get on your mark. You run your race. I love this because comparison is when we start turning our head and start looking at the person racing next to us. And we, instead of running our race, we start running the race of others. It's sad. And scripture, scripture calls this Bible, calls this Bible a mirror. Calls it a mirror. And it's by this mirror which we are to see ourselves, know ourselves, know who we were, who are we, we are created to be, and what we're created for. This is our mirror. But yet, somewhere along the line, we replace this mirror with this mirror. And we start strolling Facebook, and we were perfectly fine with our summer vacation to San Diego until I see my friend's vacation to Fiji. And then I was like, Lord, my life sucks. You were perfectly fine with your Ford Focus until you saw your coworker just bought a Ferrari. And you're like, Lord, why me? Why? Why have you forsaken me? <laughs> Comparison is a dangerous game. Comparison will cloud your clarity of God's calling on your life. If you're too busy looking at other people's lives, you are not going to ever fulfill the, God, the calling on your life. We look at this mirror every day like the wicked witch, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest of them all? But it's more like this. Mirror, mirror on Facebook. Tell me how my life should look. Mirror, mirror on Instagram. Tell me who I really am. The devil loves to use social media. The devil loves to use social look at media to get us off of our race. I'm not saying social media is bad. In fact, I'll be it after the service looking at what you guys say about me. It's not bad. It's not a bad thing. But what I am saying, it's a tool that Satan will use to get you to, to, to create that, to feel that need 
for us to compare. It's already there. We have this need to compare, and he uses it to, to fuel that need. So when we have this need to compare, we need to look at Scripture and be reminded of what we were created for. I love this, this, this passage in 1 Peter 2.9. He says this, but you are a chosen people. God chose you. He plucked you out of eternity and put you in this church and this generation to do new work. He chose you and all your flaws. He knew exactly all the mistakes you're going to be, and yet he still chose you for this time. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare and praise him who has called you out of the darkness. Let me, show, let me go back to the analogy of race real quick. You know, when you race, uh, your lane has two lines, one on your right, one on your left. Sound effects are always better. Right here, right here, two lines. What's funny is your calling has a duality too. It has two lines. The first line is universal. Everybody that believes in Christ, we all have this, this universal line. It's this, that we all grow and become more like Jesus every single day. That's all of our calling. The second one is that we grow and become unlike anybody else ever created. That's our lane. That's our lane. So I came, here's my sermon in a sentence. Here's my sermon. This is what I came here to say. Stay in your lane and keep your eyes on Jesus. Stay in your lane and keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't worry about the people on your right. Don't worry about the people on your left. Don't worry about the waves of the sea. Don't worry about the fear. Stay in your lane and keep your eyes on Jesus. Then you'll start hearing the words of Jesus. Follow me. Follow me. Don't look over there. Look to me. Keep your eyes right here. I got some really cool stuff I want to do with you. If you follow me, we're going to walk on water. If, you're going to, if, you, if you follow me, we're going to raise things from the dead. You think your marriage is dead? Follow me. You think your career is dead? Follow me. You think your hopes and dreams are dead? Follow me. And we're going to change this world. That's the words of Jesus. He's saying, don't be afraid of the world. I'm greater than the world. Don't be afraid of the devil. I beat him. He can't touch you. Don't be afraid of failure. Failure is your friend. I will use failure to teach amazing lessons. Come on. Follow me. If I'm being completely honest, this message was for me way before it was for you. Way before. In the beginning of this year, God was calling me to something new. Up until this point, I have been just a marketing communications guy. I thought I was pretty good at it. I've had some success. But God told me that, you know what, Anthony? You're a preacher. And I knew this. I ran from this. I've, this ain't new information. I've run from this calling for some time now. But this year, he said, I'm going to do something new in your life, and it's time for you to listen and stop being disobedient. So I was like, okay, God, I surrender. I'm done. I'm done running. But since, we in, you know, since we're talking, um, uh, I will say yes, but only if the opportunity comes to me. I thought I was, like, buying myself some time. Two days later, two days later, no joke, two days later, your dear pastor, my crazy friend, comes up to me on the patio and says, yo, aunt, dude, 
the, the wilderness retreat is coming up. You're preaching. I said, what? He said, yeah, you're it, dude. Hey, quit being a wimp. Quit being scared of the woods. You come into the woods with me, you're going to preach. Now, he started getting louder like that was going to convince me, like that was going to help me. You know, like I already knew I was going to say yes, but I just want to see how loud he was going to get. So I let him talk for a little bit. But that's what happened. But then he's like, that's in June. You, have, you got some time. This is like, you know, January, you know, February. So I was like, I got time. I got time. Two weeks later, two weeks later, Pastor Rick calls me. Yo, aunt, I need you to preach next weekend. You want me to what? Yeah, I need you to preach next weekend. So my very first time ever preaching was back in April in front of 30,000 people. I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. Mm, I can't do this. No, Lord, I ain't no, I ain't no Pastor Rick. I ain't good. I'm not like Pastor Tom. I'm not, I'm no good. Start comparing. I was afraid. Man, no, I can't do this. God said, look, aunt, it's not about you. It's about my people. And I have a message for my people, and I need a messenger. So get ready. See, this message was for me long before it was for you. And before I close, I just want to, I want to, I want to talk to the person here that, that feels that their life is so far messed up because they've been so disobedient, that they're, they've messed their life up so much that God can't use them, that they've missed their target, they've missed their mark. I just want to talk to that person real quick because you might feel like you've blown God's plan for your life. Let me, I got news for you. You're not that powerful. You're not that powerful. God has a plan and purpose for every single person here. You can't do anything to destroy that plan and purpose for your life. But you have to be obedient. You have to face fear. And you have to stop comparing yourself to others. I remember the story when I, my very first lunch with Pastor Tom years ago. Years ago, I went to lunch with him and I was sharing this very vulnerable feeling I was having. And I, I showed him, I pulled up my journal and I showed him this image of my journal. And I said, see this dot right here? That's me. That was when I first accepted God's love and I made Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life. That's me. See this long path right here? That's God's plan for my life. But I can't help but to feel that I'm off course a little bit. I, I feel like I've made a mistake somewhere along the line right around here and it's, it just bared a little, little off course. But yet, I've been on this path for so long that I feel like I missed my mark. You know what Pastor Tom said? He grabbed my journal, started drawing in it. I'm like, dude, that's my journal, man. You can't be just, you can't just be drawn in my journal like that, man. <laughs> but he grabs my journal and he, and he draws this. He draws this big, giant circle. He said, Aunt, what if you were supposed to miss the mark? What if God was calling you to something bigger? Friends, like I said earlier, sometimes when God is trying to do something new in your life, at first it feels like failure. It's not. You're failing at the person you used to be. Simon had to stop being Simon in order to be Peter. God has a big giant plan for you. He has a big, giant plan for this church. He has a giant vision for this, for this city and this community. But he needs you to be all in. Are you all in? Are you all in?
Let's hold you back from being all in. Let's pray. Let's just talk to God right now and say, Lord, thank you for the new thing that you're doing in this place. Thank you for the new story that you're writing in this church. And thank you, Jesus, for calling us to be partners with you in this new story. Jesus, give us the courage to go all in. And for some of us here, all in is first accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So if you're in this room or you're watching online and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, then I would like to walk you through this simple prayer because this is where you start to be all in. So with eyes closed and heads bowed, just pray this prayer with me. It's simple. Pray this prayer in the privacy of your heart. Say, say, Lord, I'm sorry. I need a Savior. I'm not fully understanding all this means yet, but I do know this. I know that I want to be loved by you. I know I want to be a part of your family. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I want you to write a new story in my life. Father, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my disobedience, Father. And accept me into your family. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, thank you for those that have prayed that prayer. Thank you that we all in this room get to join in in this story that you're writing, God. Jesus, help us stay in our lane and keep your, our eyes fixed on you. Lord, give us the faith to face our fears. God, give us the grace to run our race. Father, forgive us of our disobedience. We are sorry for running away from the life you called us to. Lord, forgive us for looking to the left and looking to the right at the others instead of looking at your son, Jesus. Thank you for sending a savior. Help us, Father, to become more like Jesus every day. God, may the world around us know us without a shadow of a doubt that we are your chosen people, not by our words, but by our love. Not by what we accomplish, but how we accomplish it. Father, I pray a blessing on every person here. I pray a blessing on their homes. I pray, I pray a blessing on their families, their finances, their relationships, their mental and physical health, God. May they glorify you in every facet of their lives. And today, Lord, may this be the first day of a new day. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.